0: From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 125. Today's show is brought to you by Eero, Encapsula, and Blue Apron. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hola. And we have a special guest today, Mr. Dan Moran. Hi, Dan, how are you? Buongiorno. Oh,
1: Was that, that's, that's the best attempt I have at, feel, at filling in for Federico here. Uh, so it's
0: all going to be downhill from there. But thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. You may know uh, Dan Moran um, as, uh, as the man Dan Moran, as we call him on this show. Uh, Dan <laughs> is uh, what were you, like a senior contributor to Six Colors. Do you have a title at Six Colors?
1: Uh, I don't know. You should ask Jason. Uh, I just keep making up better things. I'm going for Supreme Allied Commander is my new goal for titles.
0: Or just the official Dan. At
1: six colors. There we go. Yeah, not not like those off-brand Dan's. You get none of that.
0: And uh, Dan yeah. also hosts a selection of podcasts, including Clockwise on Relay FM.
1: It's, it's it's good. It's a good show. You should listen if you don't. I mean, you're here on Relay already, so you know
0: it's just a it's it's
1: like alphabetically next to connected too. So it is you
0: just hit it by accident. <laughs> you'll be fine, and you will enjoy it too. It's got Jason Snell on it as well. If you if you like Jason Snell, then you'll like that show. But really, you should be listening for Dan. I mean, everybody yeah, that's does. true Yeah, thank you.
2: That's true. It's true. So we have some uh, follow-up this week about microblogging. So we spoke last time about micro.blog by Matt and Reese. Uh, We're going to get to that, but first uh, in in the news this week was a blog post from uh, the folks over at app.net, which you may remember was a social media platform, I guess, uh, that spun up several years ago and... Uh, I guess like a year and a half ago, they went into what they're calling maintenance mode where all the services still worked, but they weren't going to be improving it anymore. And now uh, that time has come to an end and uh, app.net is shutting down and going away. They do have a way to export your data, which I did, but it's all uh, JSON files. So you have to know how to work with those. So I just have them sitting in my Dropbox for another day. Um, but you can have all your stuff. You just have to figure out how to do it. It's not as nice as something like the Twitter archives, which if you've ever downloaded those, it's available to everybody. And it's basically like a mini website that you just run locally on your computer, and it's uh, it's pretty nice. Um, Abdnet just gives you kind of a data dump. And, you know, it's not surprising, right? Maintenance mode started in 2014. Uh, it's honestly, it's uh, surprising it's taken this long. But I thought it was interesting in light of the micro blog conversation we, we've been having and the need to um, you know potentially have something besides Twitter to, to put things and especially having control of your data in more complete ways that appnet which was kind of a uh, to date the most successful run at that uh, has come come to its end so if you were uh, a member log in get your stuff uh, I think that's worthwhile having but uh, it is it is going away
1: I, I think it speak for all of us when I say that was still running.
0: Yeah, it's like 2014 all over again. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, it's, it's it hurts. Um, I th- I feel pretty
1: strongly that uh, I'm guessing my entire archive there is stuff like trying out app.net. Like I think those those can disappear into time. I think I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, it was a different time, and I think even in the the three years since it went to maintenance mode, and now. Um, I don't know if the, if the time is right now for a, a Twitter alternative to like rise up and 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 sort of take uh, take over at least in certain you know communities. But you know, that, I think the timing just wasn't right. I think they had a lot of branding problems. I think it was confusing that they built something that was basically exactly like Twitter, and it was kind of hard to to argue the case that it was better when it had fewer people and and basically the same feature set. And that's kind of where we get to Manton Reese. So uh, we spoke to Manton after the show. Uh, last week. And he, he wrote a really nice email kind of uh, walking through a little bit about what Blog is going to be. And I wanted to share that since, you know, last week we were there were some questions around it. And it's basically kind of his pitch is that it's a service that makes following what he calls micro blogs um, uh, easier. And it lets you host your content on the micro.blog platform. There'll be an iOS app. Uh, or you can have an external website, so WordPress, Tumblr, you know anything that generates an RSS feed, and you can have it integrated into the timeline experience. So the, the way I kind of see this is, you know, you can follow like you know Relay FM or Six Colors or Five Twelve Pixels or Mac Stories uh, on Twitter, and you get you know the that headline and the link, and it, it takes you off site. This is kind of a step beyond that, where if I were publishing short snippets, like short blog posts on Five 512pixels or on Tumblr or somewhere, you could read the entirety of that content kind of in your stream, in your timeline. And I think the idea here is that you can have one place to go to see an interesting mix of content. So you can see what people are saying. You can see what they're publishing elsewhere, kind of all in one environment. And it's... so. It's even different from App. dot net, where you had to go and log into App. dot net's website or use an App. dot net client. Remember those? Like uh, Felix was a real popular one, and uh, Tapbots had uh, yeah, Netbot. Netbot, yeah, Netbot, yeah. Netbot, yeah, yeah. Um, which was a tweetbot with a brown icon that connected to App. dot net for a while. I had this two side by side on my iPad. It was very oh, repost, repost, um, and. You know, but but you were feeding content into the app.net platform. And now that that's going away, you have to export that back out of their platform. And it may be in a format that, you know, some people can't, can't utilize. Where with maintenance system, I could have all of that content on a WordPress site. Or I could have it on Tumblr. I could have it somewhere else. So if micro.blog, you know, went away overnight... I still have all the stuff that I've written, and that's really the key difference, and the reason I think so many people have backed it, I mean, the Kickstarter is just out of control, we're going to talk about that in a minute, I mean, tons of support, which is really great to see, but that's really the key difference, that I can have all this writing on my WordPress site, on a site that I have the keys to, so if if micro.blog is away, my, my content doesn't go with it. I mean, even this week in the news, you know, Vine is shutting down, and I think like today or I think maybe today is the last day you have to export your content from vine. And a lot of services don't even offer that, right? A lot of services just disappear and mm-hmm. your content goes with it. And if you were, if you ever wanted that stuff, you know, it's kind of too late. So that's the big, the big difference. Um, and microdive is, that's kind of what it's built around. Um, Mayden has since last week updated the Kickstarter project page twice, uh, one with a, uh, a uh, little video of the iPhone app, kind of explaining how that works, and then uh, one that I think is far more important. Uh, he published, I believe, yesterday, called um, uh, talking about a uh, a new stretch goal and new feature called Safe Replies. So the idea that if you are if you reply to somebody who you don't you know you don't have a following relationship with. So if somebody replies to me on Twitter that I don't follow. Uh, you know, sometimes it's great, and I get you know I hear from a lot of great people in that. But also, if you tweet about healthcare, you get a lot of really ugly stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the idea here is that there will be a a gate people have to to pass through uh, for those replies from people who don't follow you to to get to you. And Mayden has made a promise that this is going to be automated uh, in the code, but it's going to be augmented by a community manager if the Kickstarter. Uh, can hit $80,000. Right now it's at 41000 uh, and This community manager will help uh, set the tone, set the policy, and help with curation when safe replies uh, fail to kind of automatically catch problems. So unlike Twitter, that it, which is completely open and, of course, has led to, I mean, we all have heard the stories and, and have seen them and experienced them of, of horrific abuse on Twitter, uh, safe replies will be a way to help limit that. And I think Microblog and App. net uh, are safer environments from Twitter, just because there is a uh, a payment piece that it is a uh, it is a service that not you know isn't necessarily open to everybody, and you know a lot of abuse online is anonymous or some someone creating a lot of accounts and and automating abuse. And uh, it seems like Man is thinking about that and building tools and building things into the service itself to limit those problems. And, uh, and that's really encouraging to read, right? Like, I think people who have left Twitter, I think I read an article just a couple days ago of a, a woman who left Twitter after a string of abuse. And, and that happens to a lot of people, and that's that's terrible, and, like, Twitter needs to fix it, and they seem unable or unwilling to. Uh, but it seems like man is building those tools in from day one to ensure that micro.blog is a safe environment, and that's super important. It's something I think all three of us are, are big fans of. And so I kind of wanted to highlight that, like just the big difference between this and app.net, which is, you know, the the thing people are connecting the two, you know, really closely. And I think that's unfair to what Manton is doing.
0: There's one thing that I wanted to kind of just get a clarification on, because I think I'm, because you know, in Manson's email to us, he said that like, some of the confusion that I had about the service is confusion that he's working to like to try and give people more information to, right? But one of the things that, that keeps puzzling me a little bit is uh, the, the service micro.blog is kind of like an app and a site that you would sign into. And I would see your, um, I don't know, posts, even if it was hosted on WordPress, they still go into the system so I could view it in a timeline, right? Like right. Even if you're doing the self-hosting thing somewhere else.
2: Exactly. So you don't have to go out to my, you know, uh, ISMH WordPress site. You could just follow me on micro.blog and see that content there.
0: Because you've put it in. To the system right exactly okay yeah i think there's an
1: uphill climb which is both good and bad uh it's definitely more it requires a little more work it seems like or a little more technical savvy in some of this instances compared to something like twitter right where you just log in you start posting that's pretty much it um and it sounds like there is an option to do that kind of thing in Blog, but th- there's also the option to host stuff elsewhere that's where i i would like mike i get a little confused about whether there's is it two things? Is it is it like trying to sort of cast a wide net over content? Um, and I think there, there are advantages to that. Like you said, um, talking about payment plans, like it's sort of a barrier to entry. You have a stake in being there, right? Like people aren't going to pay a couple bucks to necessarily troll people. Um, and so that helps, but it also hinders in terms of getting a... Uh, you know, a critical mass for a community. And I think that was one of the big problems App.net always had, which was you could get a certain amount of people in the door, but you need to have uh, a critical mass in order for it to really be a self-sustaining success. Uh, And Twitter obviously has well over a critical mass, uh, and that helps in some ways. It hinders in other ways, obviously, because it's really hard. It's a scaling problem. You can't have a community moderator on Twitter as easily because there's so much volume. Uh, And I wonder about that too. For having a community moderator on microblog is in terms of volume, you know, that person's job could be very, very hard, or it could be very easy. I don't know. Um, You know, it depends who, what kind of people are there. And so I think this is the kind of project that definitely appeals to people like us who are in sort of a tech savvy community um i think it's you know unlikely to obviously make a big dent into twitter at large just like app.net wasn't um and and i've known manson for a long time he is a incredibly smart guy and he has really thought hard about this whole owning your own content thing and i think that's been a a really big message and a really big goal for him um and so i think you know this is it's a really interesting idea for a system i'm i'm you know, a little bit, I don't want to say skeptical, that seems too harsh, but like, I'm curious to see how this all plays out. And I, and I've definitely seen a few other things arise that focus on the whole, um, uh, abuse issue. There's a service I've seen a couple people in my commu- uh, timeline talking about called IMZY, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with, I-M-Z-Y, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is sort of a micro blogging type platform that has a very, uh it's a message really based on safe communities and freedom from trolling um, but the problem with all these communities is that it's really hard to create a social network that is popular right it's some of that is luck
0: one of the things that you know i, I want to touch on very quickly um about the the kind of you know we talk about like the barrier to entry type thing and how that can help it also can hinder in diversity in the platform like mm-hmm. even just from the perspective of uh college kids you know may sure. not have yeah. the money yeah. the disposable income to sign up for a service like this um which app.net tried to solve this by adding free accounts but that was kind of a nightmare like there is a problem here where you know i could see like if this became the place where nerd twitter went that nerd twitter would just have an even stronger diversity problem than it already has and mm-hmm. again this is like I'm sorry, Manton, right? But this is another thing you have to think about. Like, if this is the type of thing that is going to be hosted, and I'm sure he is, but it's like, it's just another barrier, right?
1: To, to put a I, I was curious about this, so I was reading the Kickstarter in the FAQ at the bottom. He does say when it officially launches, Microdot Blog will be free for basic accounts and paid for extra features.
0: Ah, okay. and if you
1: want Microdot Blog to host your Micro Microblog, for example, that's included in a five dollar a month plan. So this is the yeah I, I'm with you, Mike. Like I have questions about like how exactly that plays out. What is a free level? What is an extra level? Mm-hmm. And it seems like there is. He is definitely considering that because, like you said, I think college students is a great example. You know they. <laughs> So many people don't want to pay for a one dollar app right getting into mm-hmm. a recurring service is certainly a huge barrier to entry
0: this is uh you know this this is the perils of trying to start a social network it is especially in 2017 mm-hmm. what we expect from them is, in, is an incredibly well-established thing um mm-hmm. and you know the reason we're covering this is because it is of interest i mean you know i think i speak for many people when i say i would love something like app.net again because that place was so nice and and, and and twitter is just less nice these days um and and i think that everybody's a little bit rocked by the company's direction um and and it's not even just about the the, the content that occurs on twitter or or you know the types of things people receive it's that the platform holder seems to be Hostile. Unable to, <laughs> yeah, unable to kind of deal with it, and and that you know, it's, it, we're definitely back at that place again, where I think there is a is a wide desire for something else, but how that actually plays out is a whole other story. Uh, moving on, Dan Provost of Studio Neat wrote a great blog post um, on the Studio Neat blog uh, where he did some math, uh, and this math is all about the 10.5-inch iPad and what it might end up being. We have been talking about this uh, at length in recent episodes because it's something that is that is interesting to us all, I think, on this show, is about what, what could a 10.5-inch iPad look like, like a new iPad in the line, a new screen size. Um, and Dan did some great math trying to look at what this could be. And basically he took the premise of what if the 10.5-inch iPad did what the 12.9 did? So when the 12.9-inch iPad was unveiled... Uh, Apple spoke a bit about having uh, the fact that the the dimensions that they were going for and the resolution that they were going for was the same as the height. So the width of the 12.9 inch iPad was the same as the height of a 9.7 inch iPad. And the result was basically like having two full size iPads side by side. So you could get two full size iPad apps side by side. Now, this math actually also could work out for a 10.5 inch iPad as well. Dan calculated that a 10.5 inch uh, iPad could have the exact resolution of the 12 point nine which is 2732 by 2048 but the same pixel density as an ipad mini at 256 pixels per inch so in terms of dimensions a 10.5 inch ipad would be the same height as two ipad minis so in effect everything would be smaller but you could have two four-sized ipad apps in portrait mode side by side it was it was my understanding there would
1: be no math well there's little math
2: <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of math. I think this makes a lot of sense. Remember when they introduced the iPad Pro and, and Schiller was like, you know, why did we get to the size? And he had the graphic about the 9.7 inch iPad turning it over. And it it, it makes sense in that perspective. It also makes sense that they would not want to introduce a third or I guess really a fourth, third resolution, second resolution. I don't know how many resolutions there are in the iPad. They don't want to introduce <laughs> an- another one and they don't want to change pixel density they want to they want to make this as easy for developers as possible and so to uh, to get to where they they are elsewhere in the line would be a big goal and you don't want to take the same resolution that you had on the 9.7 and just scale it up i mean this this release really feels like this is what's going on and the uh, in, in the post Dane has a picture of a 10.5 inch sheet of paper over a 9.7 inch screened iPad and it fits within the same chassis, which is really lines up with the rumors the thing is going to have very minimal side bezels and is going to be the same physical size as the 9.7, but have a bigger screen and kind of in the same amount of space. And so I think I think Dan's on to something here. Uh, not all Dans are great, but Dan Provis is great. So
1: <laughs> he's, he's the better Dan of the two. He makes me want to be a, de- a better Dan. There you go. Um, uh, you know what? The thing that's curious to me about this is like at some point during in the rumors people were talking about this existing coexisting with the 9.7 inch and to me especially looking at Dan's picture with the piece of paper uh I, I don't see why you would keep the 9.7 inch around if the chassis is the same size I mean I, other than keeping it around as sort of the legacy model that will keep selling but to me the 10.5 inch screen I feel like she might as well just replace the 9.7 inch screen if the physical device is the same size uh, otherwise it seems really confusing and weird because it's not that big a difference right it's it's less than an inch in terms of in terms of screen difference and I can't think of there will be a lot of people that it just adds confusion right like you got people sitting there going do I want the 9.7 or 10.5 well I'm gonna bring my tape measure into the store and start thinking about this um, so i I think that the, the the case for the 10.5 inch is definitely compelling but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't just replace the 9.7 inch with it entirely, you know, keep the 9.7 inch pro around as the cheaper model going forward. But yeah, why, why keep both? It seems, it seems
2: crazy. And that's their MO these days with the iPad, right? It's have, I mean, how long was the iPad two for sale? It was like, it was like 10 years. So yeah, (laughs) Um, I do think what it will do is it'll make the 9.7 look old immediately. You know, Mm sometimes like when they, when they went with the, the mini and then the air and then suddenly the iPad four just looked like this you know, relic. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how they how they work that out. But um, I, you know, as we've been saying, talking about this iPad, this is something that I'm interested in, having used the 12.9 and then getting rid of it because I felt it was too bulky to use mm-hmm. in everyday life unless I was at my desk. Um, the 9.7 does feel cramped as far as resolution. And so to have something that's kind of splits the difference, it uh, gets yeah. a thumbs up.
0: This week's episode of Connected is brought to you by Eero. These days, everything in our homes seems to want to have an internet connection, whether you have a million iPads and more iPads on the way, or you have a smart lock, or you have Home canister devices that you speak to, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. All of these things need to talk to the internet to get the information that they need. Or maybe you just want to watch something on Netflix or Hulu or listen to some music on Apple Music or Spotify. You need Wi Fi for all of these. It's the foundation for all of the stuff in our homes these days. But Wi Fi is kind of broken because connections can be slow, unresponsive, and inconsistent. So to get the best possible connection today, you kind of need a distributed system that can provide. you have a connection all over the home previously this has either been expensive or complicated to do But not anymore. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. This isn't just a simple extender technology. Each Eero box that they have has two radios inside of it. This keeps your connection fast, keeps everything in sync, and a one network name. You don't have to connect to multiple networks in your home and move between them and open settings and change it around. You don't have to do any of that. Eero is just one network, and it covers your home in a fast blanket of Wi-Fi, which is all snuggly inside for your devices. The Eero app that it comes with will be super simple to help you set it up. You can get this on iOS and Android. It will walk you through the whole process. And then also, you can manage your network from the palm of your hand so you'll know how many devices are connected at any given point as well as the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider. Eero is simple to set up. It's a great-looking device. It's just this nice little uh, white little box. You know, super easy to plug in. You set them up. The iOS app will talk you through the whole process. And then you're going to get parts of your home covered in Wi-Fi all over the place faster than ever before. Your house will almost have too much Wi-Fi in it when you get an Aero. The average house in the US is easily covered by between two or three Aero devices, so a three-pack is a really good starting point. If you live in a large space and need more, you can add up to ten in total and because of their 30-day money-back guarantee. Any that you don't need, you can just return to Aero and they'll give you a full refund for it. So get as many as you think you might need, set them all up, see how it goes, and send any back that you don't need and you'll get your money back. If you want to find out more about Aero and get one for yourself, just go to eero.com that's O.com. that's O.com. and because you listen to this show you will get free overnight shipping if you just uh select the overnight shipping option at checkout and enter the code connected and you'll get it the very next day thank you so much to eero for their support of this show and relay fm i saw some upsetting news today <laughs> Uh, Up, very upsetting news. Uh, I, as soon as I saw it, I was not surprised. Um, Apple made some pricing changes yesterday uh, in a few different territories. So, for example, um, I believe in India, Turkey, and in Romania, they made some uh, price adjustments for taxation changes that are going on in those countries. But in the UK. They put all the prices up Uh, because of fluctuating currency exchange in the United Kingdom, which just continues to get weirder and weirder every single day. Apple has raised the prices of applications and in-app purchases by at least, at least 25% across the board. So now a 99 cent application in the App Store costs 99 pence as opposed to 75 pence, which it was before. And that's tier one, I think. That, so that now uh, an app that you get in America as of today's kind of exchange rates it will cost you 99 cents it will cost me one dollar25 uh, and apps that previously cost 1 pound 49 will be $1.99, which is about two dollars and forty cents for a1.99 application so as it stands right now we're kind of looking at numbers being basically the same so a1.99 application is a 1 pound 99 app Um, I mean, you know, I can't really be annoyed at anyone uh, about this. This is just the way that our economy is right now in this country, as our government continues to push forward on a decision that was made by a selection of people in our country some time ago. Um, so we, you know, and it's changing the strength of the pound. So things are fluctuating. You know, we, we spoke about this recently when um, when Apple put up the MacBook Pro; they put up the prices of basically all of their devices. Um, And, you know, there is a possibility uh, that we may see further increases. Um, I think that we're probably kind of in the region that it's going to be because even uh, the hardware products, they tend to be like dollar and pound figure being the same, you know, like a hundred dollars is a hundred pounds. And that's basically where we are with the app store now as well. There's nothing I can say about it like this, this is how it is um at least now you can just say the app is 99 uh and everyone in the US and the UK can work it out on their own so that's good for consistency that that's the silver lining on all of this really uh is just consistency so I'm very happy about that I, this is just more math mike jeez i, I know. we just I'm talked really about sorry. that <laughs> <laughs> we had a discussion before the show and i promised Dan there'd be no no math but actually there's more numbers in this episode than ever a- before uh yeah i mean you know this is what it is right like i'm not upset about apple i'm i'm not upset i it can't be it's like this is just the way it is they're they're right. kind of doing what they do
1: it's yeah currency fluctuations are A much larger problem than just a single company obviously so you know there needs to be some correction for that given the way that it's going and it's like you said it's hard to be mad about it at least as far as apple goes (laughs) i you i welcome you to be mad about the things the factors that led to this yep but that's neither here nor there
2: (sighs) yeah it's just like you said it's part of the world And, and we should point out it wasn't just the uk so Romania like 19 or 20%. Russia had a, a VAT of 18% added. It was up in India. I mean this they're they're making adjustments in different markets that are are handling things in different ways. So I mean mm-hmm. it's I mean I get your point like it, it is lame like I I'm, I'm sorry you have to spend you know more money but it's uh it's just like like Dan said it's just part of the world. Yep. Right. So we're we talking about Apple Music. Is it even music, though? Uh, so I mean, let's, so it's let's, let's get into this. It's uh, so, uh, Jimmy Ivine went on a, what I'm going to call a media whirlwind, I guess, a blitz, uh, saying crazy things about Apple Music. So, uh, last week, uh, the Wall Street Journal had uh, sources that they were unable to name saying that Apple was looking to push further into creating original tv shows and this you know comes on the heels of stuff i guess for like the last year we've been talking about this and they've only really commented on a, on a couple of shows probably so they have
0: the uh the app show uh, the planet planet of the apps planet of the apps oh man uh. I'd, I'd push that name out <laughs> on my brain yeah uh, that's, that's coming back, back. So, so good so um good. planet of the apps which is you know star studded um we have carpool karaoke and that dr dre drama music show right yeah, i think, I think they're the three yeah. that we know about um that yeah. apple are creating so far and right. these rumors to the wall street journal they seem a little bit um kind of the, the phrases that they were getting it seems a little bit optimistic that apple is trying to acquire and or create television shows of the quality level of something like westworld or stranger things i mean i don't know if that's how it works like that you decide you wanna make really good TV, so you just do? Uh, well, I think you, you you pay good
2: people to make good TV, right? Like like Apple's not gonna like Eddie Q's not gonna be oh god, Eddie Q's probably not gonna be in the director's chair. Uh, <laughs> but it's about finding the people who have the those abilities and giving no. them Nobody
1: goes out and says, we want to make television of the caliber of
0: Kevin can wait. Like, that's not a thing that anybody says. <laughs> so, you know, but I mean, I, I get that point, right? Like you find good people and, and you pay them. But I also don't think, and at least this this article seems to indicate, that Apple is not looking to spend a lot, lot, lot of money on this. They're not looking to spend Netflix or Amazon levels of money on this. Hmm um that they are kind of just looking to get a they're just looking to get like a couple of shows uh that they want to put into what it would seem to be into apple music um that they're not really i mean that's kind of unclear right now but what it seems like they're trying to do is to make apple music more like more compelling to give them a competitive edge over Spotify, as opposed to going after Netflix.
1: Absolutely, I, I'm going to take full credit for this, by the way, because last week I wrote a column over at MacWorld that was entirely about this, and it basically right before the Jimmy Iovine, you know, started his little blitz. And I feel like, man, I hope you read my article because he's saying everything that I said. Um, which, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, it's hard. Here's the thing: we've got uh, like what half a dozen, probably solid streaming music competitors, and at a certain point. Uh, it's mostly about ecosystem, right? Like, if you want to be in the Apple ecosystem, you sign up for Apple Music. If you're in the Amazon ecosystem, you sign up for Amazon Music. If you don't really care, you sign up for Spotify, right? Like, but at a certain extent, the content that's available with them probably overlaps ninety plus percent of the time, uh, and the prices are generally within the same range. So, what draws you to sign up for one instead of the other? Uh, at the end of the day, I think that exclusive content is a big draw, uh, especially if you can produce something that the, the uh, critical acclaim of which uh, matches something like Westworld or Stranger Things, not even critical acclaim, but like those are there's no accident that they picked those shows. Those are the two shows that everybody was talking about in the last year, right? Those were the water cooler shows. And so if you want to create a show that's at the level of everybody is talking about the show, and therefore, you are going to go sign up for the service because you don't want to feel like you're left out by not having access to those things. That is a great plan. It's a brilliant plan as far as you know drawing more people into your service whether or not it'll work is you know obviously depends on the quality of the shows that they end up with uh but i think that it makes a lot of sense since they're probably feeling like maybe they're not getting a lot of traction under apple music um, to broaden that i also think a big part of this is they've been trying to get a streaming tv service off the ground for years now and it hasn't worked because the content providers are basically retreating to their shells a they saw what Apple did to the music industry B, you know they found that they can monetize that on their own in many cases um, and see they just don't want to deal with Apple they, they're used to having control and being the, the they've got their little niche carved out for them so I think Apple's eventually gonna get fed up and say you know what let's just do it ourselves uh, maybe that'll draw more uh, content from other traditional studios and networks if they show some success, or maybe they'll be scared off because they don't want to compete with Apple's in-house content. I don't know, but uh, you know, I think for Apple, the big question is: does can they do this well, and can they do it, if not profitably, then without you know going <laughs> going into debt or spending a ton of money on something that that ends up being a flop? I don't know. They haven't really shown a huge track record with either of those things yet.
0: In an interview with the Hollywood Reporter on Saturday, Jimmy Iovine said. Uh, at Apple Music, what we're trying to create is an entire cultural pop culture experience. Wait, entire cultural pop culture experience. That's that's the quote. And that happens to include audio and video. We're fighting free. So a simple utility where here's all the songs, here's all the music, give me $10 and we're cool, is not going to scale. I mean, so it definitely <laughs> indicates, I mean, it's it's a very smart point uh and again uh iovine is is doing what he does which i think is just speaking in a way that apple would maybe prefer he didn't uh because (laughs) 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 that's incredibly honest (laughs) Um, yeah burned down his own business model (laughs) (laughs) oh eddie's over there like (laughs) cursing to himself as he reads the hollywood (laughs) why do i let him do this but it is it's a good point right which is like they have no free model so that so you have to go into apple music and you pay for a reason, whatever that reason would be, and if one of the reasons was it's the way that I get that TV show people are talking about, it makes sense, right? Like, I mm-hmm. can I can see that. Totally. It makes sense. However, yeah. I do think that if they're looking to create shows that aren't... so that One of the things that came from this report is that these TV shows aren't necessarily going to be musical-focused, right? Like, some of the other stuff that they're doing is, like, music-focused or focused around Apple in some way, Right, like apps or the carpool karaoke, right? Like those things maybe make sense in Apple Music, but you know, let's say that they try and create something like a drama or something or like a thriller. Putting it inside of Apple Music just seems like a strange thing. It's like, oh, did you see that like new TV show? Where is it? Oh, it's on Apple's thing, and then people go to like the iTunes store, and so, you know, it's like Apple Music seems like a weird branding it's it's they they would have to i think alter
1: the branding if they're going to do that the other the other interesting aspect of this is so traditionally apple has used media uh sales to push devices right that Mm -hmm. was the whole point of the itunes store was people would buy the the music apple didn't necessarily make a lot of money off the content but people would buy ipods and later iphones and so the question is does that model work here as well Uh, apple music is weird right because it, it does exist on android um, and so there's a question of, well, would content available on Apple's own platforms also be available on Android platforms? Part of me thinks no. Part of me thinks that they would launch it and say, you know, Apple views Apple Video or whatever they're going to call this subset of it is only supported on Apple devices, to thus also bolster their back end by convincing people to or giving another reason for people to buy ios devices or macs or apple tvs really uh so I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out because this is an odd service in that they do offer an android client and it's pretty much the only support they have for android like across the board uh so yeah that's going to be a big question for them is whether or not they're going to use it to try and push hardware sales or whether this is just a pure up services play and the services division has been doing very well. So I could see the argument for that as well.
2: I think it's interesting too, that this would be uh, a service that you potentially would have music and TV shows and video stuff all under one, you know, sort of one service, one, I guess, monthly bill unless you know Jimmy can make it free. And that's, that really sets it apart, right? Netflix doesn't have that. Spotify doesn't have that. Uh, Amazon, Amazon sort of has it, right, but not really of. yeah, I mean, y- if you pay for prime, you get both video and music, but like there's like there's separate interfaces and the those music things.
1: is much more limited than if you pay for their music service on top of that
2: right. Yeah. So that I find really interesting. How do you package those things together? How do you have a uh, an iOS app that, that has those things in it together? I mean, maybe they they shove the video stuff into the new TV app. But it's like that's really what's interesting to me is Apple looking at doing this potentially as one service. But maybe it is like Amazon Prime, right? You pay for Apple Music and you get music and video. It's kind of separate interfaces, kind of separate things. But it it, it could be a way to set Apple apart from their competitors in this space that, that by doing this, maybe they're not taking on Netflix directly. Maybe they're not taking on Spotify directly. But hey, if you just want a bunch of streaming stuff, and you know audio and video kind of like what he's saying then you know we have this one thing and you get both and you don't have to worry about paying for netflix and spotify we mm. kind of have both types of things under one one monthly bill
0: there is a, a question of like in three or four years time how much money are we going to be paying to get all of the tv <laughs> yep I mean, it basically have we just recreated the cable model? I think so, but you just like it's oh, it's it's all online and it's it's you know, you don't have to get every you know you don't pay once and get a ton of stuff you don't want. You just pay for what you want. But unfortunately, what you want is on four different services that all cost ten dollars yep. a month. Thank you very much. Yep. yep. And, so and we've just we've just weird. removed a middleman
1: or potentially created a new middleman if somebody eventually comes up with a way to put all that
0: together. Yeah, I uh, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I'm I'm not a cable subscriber. I never have personally been, and I don't expect to ever be. Um, or uh, what we have here, you know, do we have an option of cable and then also satellite with uh, Sky, which is the, the I think still the biggest player. But, and there are a few different ways to get TV here. We have a quite a good um, free digital service, uh, which is kind of blanketed across the nation. Of course, we have our TV license that everybody. Must pay, mm-hmm. but that's a whole different mm-hmm. thing for a whole other time. But I have always been somebody who just pays for services, right? So I, I have a couple of services that I pay for. Um, I pay for Netflix. Uh, I don't pay for Amazon Prime. I get Amazon Prime because I'm a Prime customer, right? Like, I, I don't give, I mean, I watch Amazon Prime TV shows, but I don't really consider that a service that I explicitly pay for because it's not, I get it for free because I want next day delivery for free on Amazon stuff. <laughs> Um, and then I guess in the same way, like I'll get Apple's TV shows for free because I'm an Apple Music customer. But there's just it's it just starting to get a little bit more uh, peculiar as time goes on that we're ending up just with like just moving the price and complexity of cable to apps and right. it's like, I want to watch that show. Where do I go? We need to go to this thing and go to that thing. Dan, you'll be very happy to know that I just bought um, an Amazon Fire Stick. Ah, um, congratulations. I, I, thank you. Uh, I was away this weekend and was in a hotel <laughs> and needed to watch uh, like a, a TV show as part of like this event that I was going to. And I had nothing with me that I could use for it except for... Like getting something and plugging it into a tv so i went with a fire stick just there's just like a bunch of weird reasons that it makes sense this way it's a super long story it's not that exciting but so the fire stick i need i needed something to plug into the tv in the hotel room so i could watch this thing with a few different people right it's basically imagine watching a wwdc keynote in a hotel room it's that Mm -hmm. idea right that's, yes, that's kind yeah. of the, the situation. So the best thing for that job was an Amazon Fire Stick. So I plugged it in and then kind of as I was looking through, I was like, oh, I've just realized something. The Amazon Fire Stick has all of the streaming services that I want where Apple TV is missing Amazon.
1: Right. Right. So if you get Amazon, if you want Amazon but not iTunes, then the Fire TV Stick is a clear winner. If you want iTunes but don't care about Amazon, then the Apple TV is, you know, frankly, you know, better in that case, obviously. But you're never gonna get anything
0: that has all of them is <laughs> the problem. So like I'm I'm I now will have two of them hooked up to the TV, which we're gonna be getting within a couple of weeks' time. Um, and then because we were using the Apple TV before we moved constantly. It was just the way that I watched like YouTube and Netflix. But we're currently re-watching parks and recreation. So for the time that we're doing that on a TV, we'll use the Amazon stick for that because that's where we watch it because that's where it is in the UK. I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but in the UK, Amazon has all of it. Um, So I'm wondering if like over the time of doing this, am I just going to start picking up the Fire Stick remote instead of the Apple TV remote? I don't know. But anyway, the the reason I mention all this is because this kind of just plays into like the complexities of it all. Because let's say we're in a world where we need to subscribe to four different services, you then need to have the box or device that has all of them. Right. Um, And currently, that's going to get more tricky because Amazon won't put theirs on for whatever reason on Apple's and you can bet your bottom dollar that Apple Music won't be coming to the Amazon Fire Stick. So then it's not even just you need to have all of these different plans. You then also need all of the various devices to play all these shows
1: yeah i I, it's funny because my my fire stick slash apple tv usage ends up being invariably i try to watch a show um and one of them is not behaving well like i've had the hulu app on the apple tv like freak out and not want to play anything and it's like i could spend the time restarting this or i could press this button on my harmony remote switch over to the fire tv and just watch it there instead uh which is a very, very... I feel like a first world... It's like day day streaming box, night streaming box. Like, why, why do I have
0: two of these things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's the other question, right? Here's the elephant in the room question. I'll, I'll ask you first, Stephen. Do you want Apple to be putting their effort into this?
2: I mean, so I... So the complaint a lot of people have in this sort of thing is, oh, you know, they're doing this, but they're not paying attention to... X, insert your favorite Apple product here that hasn't been updated. Like, that's that's not a real argument. It's not like Mac Pro engineers are going to be uh, editing a TV show, right? Um, that's kind of a BS argument. Uh, and I understand that if they want to be competitive in this space, that video is part of that world. And that if they want the Apple TV and they want Apple Music to be more valuable to customers, then they need additional content. So I'm... I am okay with it. I'm not in love with the idea just because I, Apple hasn't proven that they can be a media company. Like even in the iTunes store days, Dan, like, like what you were saying, like they were really a retailer more than anything. Uh, so it's new in that sense and I hope that if they get into it and they they stink at it, that they get out, that they they understand that it's not for them. Uh, but I'm okay with them trying and I'm okay, it, it seems to be they're they're being very slow and very deliberate about it and that does make me Uh, make me feel better about it. Now, what would make me feel really great is if Apple could land, you know, third party content deals. And that seems like it's not happening. And this kind of reinforces that in my mind that if they're doing this, they really don't have other content to put on their on their streaming service. And that makes me sad. But uh, overall, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm not in love with it. And, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is.
0: I mean, my feeling on it is I know the idea of, like, the Mac team aren't working on this instead of Macs, but there may be, maybe is an argument for just, like, focus of the company. Like, what, what is the company focusing themselves on, and is that the right direction? Well, mm.
2: well I mean, it... it this sort of that, like that sort of argument lends itself to the conversation we had weeks ago or months ago with that Vox article about Apple being a functional organization. Yeah, like if this falls under Eddie Q and you know, uh, services and iTunes and like all this also falls under Eddie Q, then then like his team and his organization is maybe doing too much. And this is where the argument that the functional organization doesn't work anymore is really strong in my mind that you know. Like, you can do this, but, but don't put it under queue. Like, don't put it under, under an organization that already has a lot of other stuff to do. And, of course, we don't know how it works internally, but that's, like, the thing that springs to mind immediately is that, yes, you know, the Mac Pro engineer, the one guy left, isn't doing this, but it... You know there are resources being diverted somewhere, and so I, I totally get what you're saying, and I think it's it's a part of that broader conversation.
1: It's the, it's the executive headspace that you're worried about more than the like right the the, the workers who are working on a specific product. Right, it's how yep. they like right. you're talking about the direction of the company and and how the executives and leadership is thinking about where their priorities are. And if they do end up with things where they have to be like, let's adjust, let's give more money over here, or let's let's de-emphasize this product because it's not doing mm-hmm. as much for us, then you know, that there is a concern as far as that goes. But it is a big company, and they do have a ton of money. So I, right. as far as them trying it, at least, I don't see any problem with it. But I agree with Stephen, if it doesn't work, you will cut your losses.
2: You could help fix the executive headspace problem by promoting people, right? That you can have, mm-hmm. uh, that also would help. Potentially, your diversity issue in your executive ranks—that you know what, maybe there, maybe it's time for new executives. Yeah, for a, yeah. a senior vice president of content, right? Maybe it's time for uh, separate uh, software heads, and not just not just Craig. I mean, those people, some of those people exist within Apple, and we don't see them, right, because they're just LinkedIn pages that no one comes across, and they're not on the executive page. Mm-hmm. But I, I would hope that if this does take off, right, that Apple really hits something magic, and this just. This is just really successful for them, that, you know what, maybe it's time to have somebody on that executive page that's over content. It frees up Eddie Q to do the other things he's responsible for, and it gives you an opportunity to diversify that page and to bring new voices and new faces into the conversation. And there's no losing in that. Uh, so hopefully, you know, Apple sees that as an opportunity. Maybe they experiment and then graduate it into its own thing. Like That'd be a really uh, interesting thing to see. You know, some companies would be tempted to, like, spin it out into its own like separate, you know, subsidiary or something that's not really Apple style anymore. But creating an organization around this, if it's successful, I think is key and not lobbying it into the same team that is doing all
0: this other stuff. Yeah, I, I just hope that there isn't a trend which seems to have been manifesting itself with Apple's product releases recently, that there is an element in the executive team of wanting to be celebrities, and like to hobnob with Hollywood, um you know there have been a lot more like celebrity call outs on stage, people coming on stage, phone calls being made to people as part of awkward product demos beyond
1: uh, Eddie, though you think I mean, I feel like that we get that a lot with Eddie, but I'm not sure that the rest of the yeah team I mean, does it as much.
0: YouTube, you didn't man. like Drake's cool Apple jacket? That thing was awesome. Oh man. And you know and I, I, it's just like okay, so let's say that Eddie does feel that way. Well, doesn't this fall under Eddie? This this whole initiative, this TV initiative? I I would think Assumably, so probably, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, like this is completely unfounded, right? But it's it's just like there seems to have just been more focus on Apple and celebrities. Um and I'm I just don't I just don't know if this is like another step in that realm. Frankly,
1: frankly, frankly, put Eddie in charge of content and promote someone else to be in charge of services. Sure. Because uh, I don't think anybody has ever felt like Eddie's services division is necessarily like Eddie's the one that's division. division. <laughs> <It's>, well, or <laughs> that it's really like he's it's benefiting from his close attention, right? Like this is the whole issue with iCloud when iCloud was, you know, under services and app store, right? Like everybody's kind of felt like uh, is this the right place for this to be especially the the app store stuff I feel like before it got moved to Phil like everybody was like
2: yeah really do we want Eddie in charge of this while he's working on like cutting his content deals seems <laughs> weird there's no content deals getting cut anymore yeah, yeah, exactly what is he doing with all this time he's yeah. going up Golden State Warriors games yeah he, op- he opens a uh, calendar app and is just like oh they've got nothing to do today let's make a TV show
0: <laughs> well either that or Jimmy's just gone rogue at this point yeah yeah, I have no, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I Maybe mean, I, I, I don't know about all of this. I don't know how I really feel about this. Like, search Apple, your feelings, Mike. Eh, you Know it to be true. If Apple <laughs> really are able to create great TV shows, great. I'm very happy for that. But I just it, things are just getting weirder and weirder. As like the things that I expect, and, and I don't know. It's just it's just a strange new world that we're kind of mumbling our way into. This week's episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor for this show, and that is Encapsula. Encapsula is a cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. They have a worldwide network that can inspect every single packet that comes and goes from your site, blocking attacks against it whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. Encapsula protects and accelerates over 4 million websites every single day from individual bloggers all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. Like if you go to their website, like it has one of those things where it shows you the types of customers that they have, huge companies that you know use Encapsula. They have tons of resources that you can take advantage of to help your website load like A dream, as well as their 24 7 operations team, who are there whenever you need them if you have any problems. Encapsula have over 100,000 customers that span to millions, those 4 million sites across the web. Do not worry, Encapsula have got this. You're going to be well protected, and your site is going to be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get yourself one whole month of service for. If you just need to go to encapsula.com slash connected, that's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash connected. You'll find out more here and get the code that you need to claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So having Dan Moran on the show uh, means that we must talk about digital assistant canisters because Dan Moran is the canary in the coal mine uh, when it comes to voice assistants you know
1: it, it worries me when you say this mike because it means that if the voice assistants become homicidal i will be the first to go you I will be the, first will. To Cosh, go. the cautionary tale <laughs>
0: so like i think that i mean of everybody that i knew you were extolling the virtues of the amazon echo way before like you got one of those things pretty early on right
1: yeah i think i had if not one of the original round of them pretty close um I think we. I tried to pre-order one. I think I had one pretty
0: early. And you also now own a Google Home as well. I do. I do. That might have been a
1: mistake, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> if they do now, they outnumber me. Is the problem?
2: <laughs> so yeah, I, I,
0: you do too, Stephen. Right? We haven't spent a ton of time talking about it, but you have a Google Home as well.
2: I, I do, and I'm curious to hear hear Dan's thoughts on this. But for me, the Echo was already so entrenched and hooked up to all these things and set up with all these skills. And, uh, and trying to duplicate that on the Google home product proved difficult and, and, you know, Google's improving it and they're making strides, but uh, Amazon has a head start here. And so I kept finding things on the Google uh, home that, you know, uh, a were just annoying to set up again, or, you know, didn't quite work the way I wanted them to. But, um, I do have both, but like in my office, like the, the Echo is what's plugged in, and in the kitchen as well. the The Home has not replaced them yet. Right now, the the Google Home is next to, next to my Echo Dot, uh, and sometimes I will talk to it as opposed to the Echo. But I have not, definitely not switched, and definitely don't think I'm going to be anytime soon. But what is really interesting is that because Google has access to my calendars and my contacts and my email, that there is you know, some more integration stuff there, which is, is potentially interesting. But for me so far, just kind of interesting on paper that I haven't done much with those sorts of things with my voice. Uh, and, and maybe it's because I've been trained by Amazon that I can't do it by voice. But like on paper, that's a benefit. But in practice, at least for me, I'm curious what Dan thinks has not been a game changer.
1: Well, yeah, if you already have, I think my my conclusion after looking at these two things is that the overlap is very high in terms of what they do, right? They both let you sort of ask queries. They both can do like certain utility tasks like set timers. Um, They can both do calendar access. They can both control some smart home appliances. They can both play music. You know, like a lot of what they do is very similar. And so if you already have an Echo you're probably not in the market for a Google Home. If you're making that decision off the bat, well, do I want a Google Home or do I want an Amazon Echo? That becomes a little bit harder and a little bit more about um, what your priorities are. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, in most cases, the Echo has a leg up because as Stephen said, it's it's got a big head start and there's a lot of stuff that's integrated with it that is not available on the home yet. Uh, I do know one uh, f- friend of my acquaintance who opted to buy a Google home off the bat because the one thing it could do that the echo could not was it could do translation so you could ask it how to say a word in a different language um, and they' specifically he and his wife are raising their their son is about one and their uh, his wife is from Taiwan and so they're trying to teach him uh, the you know both English and Chinese and so, uh, having that to be able to like, especially for him, cause he is not of, of Chinese descent. So he doesn't know Chinese to be able to ask the Google home. Like, how do you say this word in Chinese and have it speak it aloud is pretty cool and pretty handy. Um, and so, You know, I think there are little use cases like that that might tip you in one direction or the other. Um, But right now, both of these are kind of still in nascent stages. Amazon also obviously has this huge advantage of these skills um, in terms of third-party development. And Google so far does not really offer that. So there isn't a lot of expansion capability right now. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no reason that couldn't come later uh, because there's nothing, I would say, in the hardware that precludes it. But Google has not decided to make that choice yet.
0: Let me come back to skills and services in a minute because I think that's that's quite a quite a big topic. But um, the home was interesting to me because it has Google behind it, and Google has the answer to everything, right? In theory, you yep, you sure. Google it. That's how we get answers to everything in modern day life. <laughs> we put it right. into Google, um, and if I'm correct, um, Amazon with the Echo uses Bing. I think for the that search. sounds right. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, I can't speak to how much information Bing has because I don't know. But what I know is that it isn't Google isn't just like a pure search engine. It, it. I mean, we know this. Google takes some of the questions that you give it and gives you answers that the system understands, as opposed to just looking on the web. So right. translation is a great example of that, right? Like, there may be some search engines where if you typed in like "how do you say cheese," in romanian it's it it might take you to a website that can give you that answer where google is just going to use google translate and just tell you what it is right and speak it to you if you want right like and it would do that on the web so i'm wondering are there more instances like this where the google home is able to give you answers to questions that the echo is unable to do In my experience, hard to say because uh,
1: you know, as Stephen pointed out, one of the problems with having both of these things is remembering which thing you're going to address a question to. And there are definitely times I've tested them um, back to back. I feel like I've had ones that they've both failed on, and then I've had ones where I think, in general, it seems like the Google Home does provide, if not uh, a broader answer to questions, often a deeper answer to questions um, because you know. So you, we've all had those instances where you search. Uh, search google for some particular query and it'll often not only give you a a list of hits but it'll give you that little box at the top Mm -hmm. where it's like called the relevant section from like the top hit um i often do it and this just tell you a bit more about me i often do it when i i'm i'm googling how long something like food is good like oh how long does like chicken last in my fridge right and it will like call <laughs> the first hit and be like oh it says from this site that chicken will last this days, and the google home will actually read that like excerpt aloud yeah see i find um,
0: that i i ask those sort of questions to my echo where i'll say like how long what what temperature is chicken breast cooked at and it can't mm-hmm. give me yeah an answer that i want but my assumption would be that the Google Home would, because what I do when the Echo cannot answer that is open my smartphone, I open my web browser, I type it in, It go, you know, I type in to go to Google, I do the search, and it does that thing, right, where it pulls out the box, and it's like such-and-such such website says it's such-and-such degrees Celsius. And, right, and my assumption right. would be, as I think you, you kind of said there, Dan, is that Google Home will read that back to you, um, which is… That's, I guess, the most useful, you know, or like, you know, what Siri will do, be like, I found this on the web for you. It's right, no, exactly. No, it's not. What I want is the, the, the assistant to speak the answer back to me, having right. found it. Because, I because mean, if you're asking using your voice, there's a
1: reason you're doing that and not looking at a screen. Yeah. You've uh, already made yep. that decision to interact, you know, in that way. So obviously, there's a reason behind it. It's like hands-free in a car, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't start showing me. You know, a- the iPhone is smart enough in many cases that if it knows, or at least in this sort of car kit stuff, if it knows you're asking for something, it's oh, I'm in a car. I'm not going to respond with this. I'm just going to like speak it aloud or whatever. Uh, and so that's that is a win in terms of uh voice interactive insistence is you really do want it to speak it aloud because you know either you're you know hands deep in your chicken at that point and you're like, oh man, my hands are covered with raw chicken. I don't want to go Google this on my phone, right? Um and so I think that the uh, the queries do seem like uh Google certainly it's positioned very well as a device that's sort of like your your answer box, right? Where it's like, I need the answer to this question. Let me ask this box. Um there are definitely things I you know what the thing that befuddles me that I can't figure out why none of these things do is uh i often ask to be i've I often tried my one of my test queries is always tell me when the next episode of a specific tv show is on mm-hmm. and neither of them can do this i don't understand why because i feel like that's data is structured out there somewhere there's no way reason i shouldn't be able to ask like when's the next episode of arrow on and have it just say oh it's you know wednesday january 23rd or whatever um like that should be totally doable but it's possible that's just like it's
0: not getting yeah, that feels like one of the things that apple was talking a lot about with the apple tv which is about passing that information correctly like mm-hmm. it, it maybe it could do it, but it doesn't know what arrow is. You know, when you're initially asking right, that right. question, it can't work out the the answer to that the context. Right? It, like it doesn't know what that means. I mean, and that feels like ninety percent of the battle, right? It, right? it it's understanding what it's searching or where it's looking for, or you know, like what is the noun in this quote in this statement? Right. It's all the machine learning stuff yeah. that
1: they've been talking about so much recently. Is this is where this comes into play?
0: How well do you feel, uh, I guess it goes with both of you, like that. The, the how well do you feel these devices hear you? Do, you? do you feel there's any difference there? Like, Stephen, do you think there's any difference from the home to the Echo about which device, un- not necessarily like how it understands you, but just how well it seems to hear you?
2: Uh, I think the, the full-size Echo is probably the best out of the three. You know, I think the, the Echo Dot isn't, isn't, super great uh i haven't had i haven't had widespread problems with the google home by any means but but that that full-size echo i mean it can hear me across the house like rooms over with music playing it's really (laughs) impressive um by far i think it's it's the most impressive out of any of these but that doesn't mean that I i haven't had any problems with the google home but the echo seems to be in a class to itself
1: some of it depends on placement. Uh, I've noticed my echoes in my kitchen, um, and it's pretty close to the wall. And I think sometimes it gets weird if, yeah, this is, again, maybe this will tell you more about me than anything else, but I'll have like something else on the kitchen table. That's of the echo height, like a box of cereal. And it just happens to be sitting between me and the echo. And I actually find sometimes that interferes with it. Like if I move it, it will hear me better. If I'm calling from like someplace where the box is in between us. Um, My dot is in my office and I also have the weird thing where they added a feature to uh, the echoes where supposedly they can use multiple devices and then will answer on whichever one they think is appropriate. Um, And so there's a place in my I can stand in my living room and both of them can hear me from there. And sometimes it makes really weird decisions about that. Like I'll be in my kitchen asking a question and it will respond on the dot in my office. And I'm like, I don't know what made you think that was the right answer, but (laughs) it was not. (laughs) Um, So you need a little tweaking on that algorithm. Uh, the home, I think, has been pretty solid. Uh, I have it, you know, like, as I'm, I'm, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm on my iMac, which is my recording setup, and the home is about, you know, four inches from me. So certainly if I'm sitting at my desk, it's fine. I've used it sitting in the living room, uh, which is probably about 10 feet away, and it's totally fine from there. Um, you know, my house is not huge, so this is not, like, a, hu- a big problem I end up running into. I think that they're all pretty good. I would agree with Stephen that the, the full-size Echo probably has the best... Um, uh, and then, you know, the dot, I don't know. It's fine. It's it's obviously not the size as, tar- as far as the uh, uh, speaker goes, but I think the mics are fairly similar. Uh, and then the home only has two mics, but, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like... A, it hasn't had any problems,
0: for sure. I I uh, found recently that we've kind of moved things around in the kitchen, and if we have our, like, uh, extractor fan on, like above the hub, like mm-hmm. the, the hood the echo just cannot hear us like yeah it doesn't like white noise that it's not no. producing i was standing in front of it today and shouting at it and it, it, the light wasn't even coming on yep. so i don't know if maybe there's like going to be a better place in the kitchen that we need to put it in but it seems to be getting quite upset at points but it doesn't seem consistent with that it's very strange
1: you know it's funny it has trouble uh, i often use it while i'm washing dishes and when you have the water running Um, Which, if you've watched any classic spy movie, everybody knows when you want to avoid being detected by bugs, you turn the water on. So apparently that works. (laughs) Um, Obviously, it can correct to a certain degree when it's playing music because it it, it knows what it's playing. Um, And so I think it does a good job of being able to respond even when you're playing music. Um, But only if it's music is producing. I've also had instances where I'm playing music from, say, my Sonos. Uh, and it does not know about that, right? So it doesn't like that because it's just getting noise that it can't really uh, it can't interpret the difference between a song you know playing with lyrics and me trying to talk to it.
0: Yeah, um I, I just it's strange. like there's another thing that we've been that I've been trying to do because I feel like that the uh the echo is struggles to hear Adina more than me. so we wanted to do the voice training. But that's not available in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> so oh you boy. can't do like the the like you know the the voice training of the command words. It's very. It's just a very. I, I, there was just I've noticed like with the rollout to to the UK, there are just some weird parts that are missing on this thing.
1: Yeah, and that's tr- it's definitely international uh, support is definitely the biggest ding, I guess. I think against both of these, I'm not sure the Google Home is any better. It's not uh, anywhere uh,
0: else except the U.S. Right yeah, now.
1: I think it's just the U.S. So yeah, they, they at least Amazon is trying to expand, but it's definitely been a slow rollout.
0: Uh, what about the iOS app? I assume it needs an iOS app. The Google Home. What is that like?
1: It is Home. Uh, so it's the same app that it used for, I want to say like uh, Chromecast, Chromecast device yeah. management. Okay. Yeah, they they moved that, right? It used to have a Chromecast app and I think it's now in Google Home. Um, it's fine. It's obviously very similar in some ways to the Alexa app. Um, it's... It's got, um, you know, same sort of thing where it's got breakdowns on, like, here's the music services you want to connect to. I think it might be a predominantly a web view. I think I was reading about this somewhere. Somebody was saying if you have, uh, if you're, like, trying to use it with an airplane mode or something, it won't mostly won't work because everything it's loading is kind of, you know, it's Google. Everything is kind of a web view. Um, It's fine. It, It doesn't. It neither blows me away nor disappoints me, I guess. It's really just, like, there for setup mostly. Um, it does have some of the same things that the uh, Amazon app does in terms of, like, here's a list of all the queries you've made. You know, you can remove some of this data if you don't want it stored. Um, here's an overview of devices. I do like the the one other feature I really do like about the Google Home, um, which is true in the app or, you know, partially available in the app, is you can you can tell it to output Uh, audio or video to a Chromecast. And so if you have a Chromecast setup that's connected to your TV, for example, you could say open Netflix on my Chromecast and it'll open Netflix on your Chromecast or play this song on my audio Chromecast and it will start doing that, which is a place I think the Echo has not really gotten into. I'm kind of surprised that with the Fire TV and Fire TV Stick that you can't say to your Echo... Oh yeah, open the Hulu app on my on my Fire TV, and it will just do it because that seems like a no brainer to me.
0: Yeah, especially like if they, you know, if for whatever reason they hadn't thought of it, now that they've seen Google do it, like, not sure. be surprising to me if they didn't do it themselves. Like it, yeah. it just feels like a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I feel like I know the answer to this. Would you recommend the Echo now? Was that would that be the, the device that you would recommend over maybe the Home?
1: Yeah, unless there's a really particular reason that you uh, want the Google Home. Right now, it seems like the Echo's definitely ahead. Uh, certainly in smart home control things, I think it's still definitely the undisputed winner. Um, the only things I will say, and I, I mentioned this briefly in the story I wrote on Six Colors about this, I actually think that Google's probably done it slightly better than Amazon in terms of aesthetic design. Uh-huh. I think the Google Home is very nice looking. Um, it feels less obtrusive to me uh, in terms of like it's kind of nondescript. It's sitting down there. I know there have been the, the, plenty of people who' compared it to an to an air freshener. Yeah, kind of looks like an air freshener. It does. Um, but I, I think it's it's shorter and squatter than the echo. Um, and it looks less gadgety. Um, it's got those swappable uh, bases that you can change the colors on, but like with the default gray one, Um, you know it's pretty it's pretty unobtrusive it doesn't really catch the eye there are no buttons on top Um, the lights are underneath the plastic so they don't show up at all unless you say the trigger word Um, and it's really I I think it blends in very well in a a way that the echo is is a nice piece of it's made nicely it feels nice but it's also very obviously this big monolith that's sitting there Um, and so if you have that sitting in a room it's very, it draws the eye, right? It it looks like this big wacky gadget thing. Um, And I think that the Google has definitely taken a little more time to think about the design and how it fits into the home. And so, again, there are people for whom that will make a difference. And they want something that doesn't look as obviously techie sitting around. Hmm. Uh, And so that's another reason I think that the Google Home might be compelling to some people when a place where the Echo isn't. But for my money, I definitely still use the Echo a lot more Um, than the home maybe one of these moments i should unplug it and see how far i can get with a google home before i get frustrated Hmm.
2: do you think that that would change if apple were to build a canister
1: i'm super interested to see what that would look like my current feeling based on where siri is right now is i'm not very optimistic about it because i Mm -hmm. don't feel that siri does a good job that said when you're designing for a canister type product of you know that's purely voice interaction I think that they obviously would have to take different design decisions into account because it wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, I've done a Google search. Uh, Check your phone, right? (laughs) Like that would be an automatic fail. Um, So I'm, I'm curious to see if they decide to enter that market, what that would look like. I don't have the biggest hope for it, but I would certainly, because I clearly have a problem, I would certainly buy it and try it out (laughs) uh, and see how it compares to the other uh, competitors in that field. And I certainly think the big advantage there would be the Apple ecosystem, right? Like it can play with all your other devices. If you have Apple Music, it will work with that. Um, I'm sure they would make it look nice. I'm sure it would have good sound. And there's advantages in there, right? There's niches in that market for them to get into. Uh, But I don't, uh, this Siri, uh, there's a lot of arguments going back and forth about, oh, yeah, people ding Siri, but it's actually pretty good. My feeling is, no, I I actually feel like it's good at some things, but the number of things that it's good at is pales in comparison to any of these other things. And that's, yeah, I I know Phil Schiller just said a thing the other day about um, the, like, oh, it's still the best thing because you've got the voice assistant you have with you. And it's like, I don't think that many people use it when they're on the go. I think it makes sense to have in the house because if you're wandering around and want to talk aloud, you don't look like a crazy person. And if you're on the street trying to use Siri uh, to do a bunch of stuff like, you know, I don't know, we'll talk to people about AirPods and how much they use Siri on their AirPods. But I feel like there's a higher stigma attached. There's a higher barrier to get people to do that. Whereas in the privacy of their own homes, people feel perfectly comfortable doing something stupid like talking to a computer.
2: Yeah, no, I think think that's I think that's totally fair, and and I agree that Apple's service uh, need would need to make progress. So just sticking it in a canister is not enough to to make a super compelling product at this point, uh, at least for those of us who have gotten used to what Amazon and others are doing. So I guess we'll see. The you know for me, I think the the end uh, of this conversation is that. All of these products can be better, like as as good as the Echo is, and as Amazon Services are, um, as flexible as Google's, you know, potentially could be. There, it's still early days, right? And and I don't think Apple's missed the boat yet, but I would expect if they enter the market for them to make a, a big push in improving uh, their service. And that's you know something that it's weird for Apple because they've been doing it longer, right? That Siri has been around for for years and years now. And Amazon is new to the game, but they they started uh, from a very different place and I think there's room for all of them to improve and change. So I don't think this is done yet. I think this is sort of the first round and uh, as these these things improve and as you know Amazon and Google introduce new things their canisters can do and then ultimately new hardware like the Echoes probably do for a hardware update at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh that, that stuff will change and evolve and I think I think the ground may shift a little bit.
0: There was one, uh, Lucent, I didn't, didn't cover, Dan. It was a question that I wanted to ask before we kind of move on. It was about the integrations and the services because obviously, you know, one of the things that makes the Echo line great is that they have all of the skills. Um, and my understanding is Google are working on this but don't have stuff yet or have very limited. Is that right?
1: I haven't seen anything specifically, you know, just looking at the Google app. I don't think there is like a open it's kind of like the old apple tv and it's like it seems like you know google's made some partnerships obviously with certain things um they do have a bridge in the in the uh, because there is some IFTTT access um so you can control some things that are not directly controllable um but if anybody's used that on the echo you found that that's often a subpar experience to the direct integration skills um Right now, I don't think there is anything, I'm just looking, I don't think there's anything that's actually available, um, you know, beyond the stuff that's like the Play Netflix thing I just mentioned, which is clearly Netflix had to do something in order for that to work, or maybe that's all Chromecast. I'm not actually sure. But yeah, it's not, it's certainly not the open development community that we're used to from, say, iOS, Um, the Echo has thousands of skills, I think, available now, it's kind of ridiculous, a lot of them are silly, but you know. It obviously, people are building actively building stuff for it. I'm sure Google will do that. I'm sure they will. There's no reason for them not to, and it it unlocks the ability to a lot more things. So, and Google has no problem making partnerships with other companies or having a developer ecosystem. They know how to do all of that. So, I think that's
0: just a matter of time. All right, this week's episode is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron will deliver to you seasonal recipes along with all of the fresh, high-quality ingredients that you're going to need to make delicious home-cooked meals. They send you these great recipe cards that have great pictures on them and they really go into detail about how you can make the food, So you'll not only be cooking these great meals in less than 40 minutes you'll also be learning some skills about cooking on your own as well which will be great and then you can get to keep the cards and maybe if there's a recipe that you really like you can make it again for yourself but the ingredients that you need for every one of your recipes you get sent to you in these boxes which are fantastic and you just get what you need. So you're not going to have a ton of waste. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, I have this ingredient or that ingredient. They send you all of it. And it's all pre-proportioned. It all comes in these little bags. so It's all super simple. You're not going to get things mixed up. It's really—it's just a really easy way to have to deal with a ton of the mess that comes with trying to make a meal. You don't have to go to the grocery store to pick up the specific ingredient that you need that you'd forgotten, even though you're halfway through the recipe. You don't have to worry about any of that because Blue Apron can get you all of it. You can customize your recipe Each week, based on your dietary preferences, and you choose a delivery option that fits your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get the deliveries when you want them. And Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental United States. So, if you have some types of foods that you don't like to eat, or you know, there's some foods you don't want to eat, you get a big selection of meals that you can pick from. So, for example, Uh, Just from the recipes available right now, you could choose mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas of lime sour cream, potato and broccoli samosas of coconut lentils and yogurt sauce. Or creamy shrimp spaghetti with broccoli and mayo lemon. They're just some of the many, many recipes that you can check out over at Blue Apron. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with fresh ingredients and support a more sustainable food system, you can make incredible meals. And this is why they set the highest quality standards for the suppliers and fisheries and farms and ranches that they work with to make sure the food that you're putting in front of yourself, in front of your family, is of the highest quality. So go and check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com connected. That is three meals for free and you don't even pay shipping on them. Blueapron.com connected. This is a no brainer to try out. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals at Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com connected and we thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and Relay FM Blue Apron a better way to cook. Stephen, take us down memory lane. That's what I do best. That's mm, yes, so, what well, like you're known for.
2: So I wrote a thing on Mac Stories this week about the, the Mac Mini, looking back at the original uh, introduction of that G4 machine, and then the move to Intel, and then the new body style. And it was really a machine that was was built to lure switchers to the to the platform Remember Apple mm-hmm. had the uh, switchers uh, ad campaign, which had a lot of funny videos in it. This was after that, but uh, it was you know four hundred nine bucks. It was the cheapest Mac ever made. That's the lowest cost Mac uh, to date, far lower than anything else that was available at the time or even historically. And to do so, you know, this was the G5 era. They, they put a G4 in it. They put a combo drive in it. It was it was lower spec, But it was still a plenty powerful uh, computer to run things like iLife and iWork and, you know, those, those applications that really defined uh, that decade. And because it was only 500 bucks, you could just basically plug in all your PC stuff to it that you're displaying keyboard and mouse and be up and running on a Mac very easily. You didn't have to replace the rest of your setup. And over time, I think the MacEmendy strayed from that a little bit. I think it was—I think it was—a successful uh, machine in the regards of you know bringing people to the Mac for the first time. But people started putting them in entertainment centers and started running them as servers and put, putting them in cars. There's like this whole interesting subculture of nerds there for a minute that maybe Dan remembers. Um, mm-hmm. I remember very distinctly someone—I think it was in a DeLorean. Put a, like course, a projector and like a because the because the uh, the hoods open you know from the front they're hinges at the front so you could like put pop, pop the screen up and or and have a or pop the the hood and have a screen on it all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyways, uh, slowly Apple evolved the Mac Mini I think to better reflect that. So the adding things like Front Row which was basically like the first gen Apple TV interface with the remote it ran on iMacs as well and MacBooks and stuff. Uh, to control your music and TV shows and stuff from across the room, adding things like HDMI to it. Once they re uh, kind of reformed it with a unibody case, um, they even had a server version. Uh, so, in writing this, I'd forgotten the 2009 server existed. So it's like the original case, but no optical drive and two hard drives. Um, so I have a mm. screenshot of that because I couldn't find one in time for my for my deadline. But did that crush you? It definitely <laughs> hurt my heart a little bit. Until Federico's like, my my photos are gonna be incomplete and he told me to grow up. So <laughs>
0: he's like, I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, okay. Uh there okay. was also a moment when looking through the pictures where I was like, Oh no, he's included the same photo twice. But then you go into detail to explain the minuscule difference between <laughs> the one of the Mac mini models and another one, because it had an IR port. Right. I assume, for front yeah. row, right? Yeah. for front
2: row. So, you know, Apple slowly changed the Mac mini and has evolved it right up until 2014 when they ruined it. And the... the <laughs> Why don't you say how you really feel, buddy?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I took
2: the gloves off in this. So the, the unibody design had a, ver- a very simple plastic bottom. You could just like twist it and have access to the RAM. And even though it wasn't user serviceable, it was pretty easy to replace the hard drive. Um the 2011, 2012 machines, you could add a second hard drive if you wanted to. Uh, again, you had to, like, get in there and, and, and re- you know, kind of have tools and stuff. It wasn't, like, clip it in and go, but it was doable. In 2014, they left the door, but instead of seeing your memory, it's just a sheet of metal.
0: Like, I don't even know why the door comes <laughs> off anymore. Uh, it's really insulting, honestly. So you can hide the, things in there. It's like a little secret place. for some. Oh, models. like one of those
1: books when you carve out a book and you put like a gun in it. I mean, <laughs> I hear people do that. Wow. That's a thing. Don't hang out at Dan's house. Those, <laughs> those voice assistants are, uh, I'm starting to hear them even when yeah. they're not on.
2: <laughs> they also got rid, and this is pretty well known, they got rid of the quad core model. Uh, the 2014s are all dual core, so not as powerful, And and they got the price back down to 499 for the 2014 models, but they could have left the other stuff in place or at least, you know, had it as a build to order option. So a lot of people, including me have old Mac minis. So I have one at home that we use in our entertainment center. We have an Apple TV, but the Mac mini is plugged into the television as well for uh, mo- mostly for DVD playback for the kids. But also if we need to watch something uh, that the Apple TV doesn't have accessible and it, is the iTunes server th- through a Drobo and like file serving and stuff in the house. And then the second one is a quad core model that Relay FM owns that is at Mac Stadium. That if you are listening live right now in our app or on the web, you're hearing me via that many, that many runs uh, open source software called Icecast that is our streaming server. And both machines have SSDs, both have. Uh, as much RAM as you would take the one at home, actually I have more RAM than Apple says it will support and it totally works fine, but they're six years old. And like, I have two like critical machines in my life that are six years old that they still run Sierra, but at some point, you know, they're not going to run the newest Mac OS. And that's kind of a bummer because I don't want a new Mac mini that they sell now. A, it's not new anymore and B, it's worse so it's really frustrating. And uh, I was curious about the two of y'all. I know, I know, Mike, you had a Mac Mini for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but kind of what your what uh, your experience with this computer has been, and and how you feel about it now.
0: I ran a Mac Mini for years. Um, I when I kind of was was started my podcasting career, I was doing it all on an eleven inch MacBook Air, and then I moved to a Mac Mini. Um, because I had I, what I ideally wanted to do was just to have one monitor that I could use for my Mac and for my games console at the time. Um, so I was able to do that with a Mac Mini. Um, I then went from that Mac Mini to a Mac Pro. Ah, oh, that Mac Pro. Uh, which was a bane uh, of my existence before I moved to the iMac. But the Mac Mini lasted for a long time. Uh, it had a spinning hard drive in it. That thing got me through some serious times, you know, like uh it was it was a really good machine. Like Relay FM was started on that Mac Mini, believe it or not. Um and, you know, I had a MacBook Pro that I had as well, but all of the recording happened on the Mini. The Mini was a was a separate device that I used, um, just as a production machine. Um and and I, and I it, it worked really well. I mean those things are workhorses and it is a shame to see them at a place now where they are kind of falling by the wayside. Well, not kind of, they have. But I feel like the Mac Mini has always been like that. Like, for as long as I can remember it, like, it is a product that has always just had, like, life snatched from the jaws of death. Like, it feels (laughs) like it's just about to go. Like, it is older than it's ever been. And they're like, here's a new one. Even though, you know, maybe it takes away the the user serviceable parts that Stephen desires. It's not just me. So yeah, so like the mid twenty seven model,
2: uh, or the mid two thousand seven model, was on sale for like nineteen months, and I remember articles at the time of like the Mac Mini's dead, like mm-hmm. it's going away. And then the 2012 one was for sale for almost two years, and again people said it's almost dead, it's going away. Uh, and the same thing happened to the Mac Pro, right before the yep. uh, twenty twelve model. Maybe there was a there was a big gap, and mm-hmm. but now the Mac Pro is longer than the previous. You know, longest gap, and and the same thing with the same thing with the Mac Mini. That there have been big quiet periods in its life, but we're now in in the biggest one. Um, So yeah, I mean, you're right, and I think I think you know, you saying, hey, you know, I use it as a production machine. I started my business on it. Like that really proves the flexibility of this computer that you can buy the cheap one, and you know, if you just need the cheapest Mac or just a really basic computer for a family member, buy the cheap one you know put it in their office and it's going to be fine but if you upgrade the ram or put an ssd in it or you know even if you don't you can hook a bunch of stuff up to it and it's a really powerful system you know i went and opted for an imac when i built my office but you know had the mac you know had the budget not been what it was and had the mac mini been something that i was interested in i could have done that i could have gotten a loaded mac mini and an external display and and probably would have been fine you know for for the vast majority of my work, it really scales nicely. And, and that's kind of what I want them, uh, want them to return to. But, Dan, if I remember correctly, you're on an iMac at home, right? You don't, you're not using a Mac Mini? I do have a Mac Mini, actually, in addition and to secret, my iMac. I secret Mac n- Mini.
0: It's not secret. It's hidden inside of a hollowed-out iMac. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is itself in a classic Mac that I've turned into an aquarium. Um, I, I have a uh, one hooked up to my TV. Uh, I have for many years. That's the second one. It is. I was just looking it up because I was curious, I was trying to remember what uh, era it was. It is a uh, uh, late 2012. Um, so no optical drive, but you can upgrade the RAM. That's um, mm-hmm. the second one. The first one was a. Uh, one of the early, I don't remember if it was a cord Duo or a cord solo. I think it's a cord Duo. It was a leftover from one of the Macworld Labs, and that was sort of my first attempt at that. And I pulled that one apart many times to do some upgrades with the old putty knife trick. Oh, um, yeah, it's so a <laughs> Yeah, that one was, it's terrifying every time you open that thing, and I think I, you know, bent several of the clips. Um, the uh, mid-to, or the uh, 2012 model I have, I have also upgraded within the last year um, following the... Um, I fix it guides I put in a uh, an SSD and built my own fusion drive uh, and that's a fun that's a fun upgrade because you uh, the the hard drive brackets now in that, in that model there's a hard drive bracket that will accept a second hard drive like there's just an right. empty space there but in order to get to it it's at the top of the machine and since you access the machine through the bottom you literally have to pull everything out of Oof. the case in order to get to it. And that's a little bit nerve wracking at times because it means unscrewing and disconnecting a lot of little wires. And I know when Jason Snell did his, he broke the IR cable, which, eh, you know, not a big deal. Who uses the IR cable that much? Um, I definitely had problems when putting it back together and trying to get things in the right order and plug things in the right places. And I had to, like, nope, didn't quite do that right. And I had to, like, take it apart and put it back together again. Um, But I really love my Mac Mini. It is basically always on, it is connected to my TV. It hosts a Plex server, it ho- it runs OS 10 server, um, and I have a VPN or a setup on it, a VPN server. Um, it's screen sharing accessible from anywhere. Like It's basically like my gateway computer, like when I'm away and I need to get into my home network, um, I could sort of use that to get into my home network. Um, you know, it runs a lot of other tasks and servers that need to be always on. Um, and uh, I really I really like it. I love it as a computer. Um, I agree that they really have crippled it over the years by taking out the ability to upgrade the RAM and by making the hard drive a lot harder to access. And, yes, they've done this in order to make it smaller and slimmer and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, for the people who are buying Mac minis, most of us, we we like to have a little bit of customization. Um, I love, you know, upgrading from the uh, HDMI to the HDMI port in the new model was a big draw for me because in the old one I had, oh, God, I had some crazy daisy chain to get from DVI. Uh, and, and it, there was some weird bug with my old Samsung TV where I actually needed to like it needed to be like translating it into analog and then back into digital or something insane, like through a DVI to VGA, because otherwise the signal would come through crazy corrupted. Uh, and so I had this hilarious daisy chain of like three adapters to plug it into my TV. Yikes. Uh, and I, that was back when I was actually like watching stuff in on the, on the Mac mini rather than just using the Mac mini as a server. Cause now there's like a Plex app for the Apple TV. So I can do that from there. Um, but it's also like my canonical server storage. So like uh, photos is on there and downloads all of the originals of my, uh, like everything from my photos, uh, like the iCloud photo library, my entire iTunes library is hosted on there. Cause that's like my backup. Um, old files I archive there so it's like it is my machine in the house where it's like yeah I could uh, if my iMac exploded tomorrow that would inconvenience me but it wouldn't be like I've lost all my data if the Mac mini exploded I mean obviously it's backed up in a number of places but like that is a important computer for me
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and you know looking looking forward it would be great like I have have two thoughts like it would be great for Apple to take the Mac mini and like reinvent it. And, you know, the design that we have today was based around the optical drive, which lasted exactly one generation in the new case. And then they removed it. So like, it yeah, is the yeah. size that it is because of the optical drive. And it's not even using, you know, if you get an SSD one or a fusion drive, you know, it's using the, the PCIe storage. Like it's, it's imaginable to see a, a future machine that is much smaller and, you know, runs even cooler and, you know, you can put under a TV and no one would ever notice, like an Apple TV-sized Mac. Yeah. Sure. That'd be really interesting. Uh, but what I really want is for them to kind of return it to the glory days of, like, the 2011, 2012 Mac Minis. Like, even if you're going to keep the same design, like, yeah, it's silly, but, like, if, if, that, if that's the trade-off, like, keep the same design, give us quad-core options, give us the ability to upgrade the RAM... And you know a lot of that would not be possible if they shrink it down to like a you know a MacBook style system. So I'm fine with it being the size that it is, but re- restore the functionality that so many people wanted. That if you want to buy a bone stock $500 Mac, it's cheap, it's great, it, does, it gets the job done. But if you want to spend more money or you need more power, then like give those people the option too. And like you can have it both ways because Apple had it for both ways for years like it's not it's not like new ground right all i'm asking is to go back to the ground that we were on and there's no need to make it thin there's no need to trade out all the ports for USB-C, although i'm sure they would do that leave hdmi leave these other things so you can use it in an entertainment center uh but i'm just nervous about it like and we call it
1: the new mac pro
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i mean there's that there's that angle too right like if if the two headless desktop macs condense into one machine uh, I think that would be harder to serve both markets. You can't serve the $500 Mac market and the Pro market in one box unless it's something totally different from the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro as we know today. But it's also, I, mean, I guess that's also an alternative, right, that they have sort of one system that's really flexible and really wide-ranging. But that just doesn't seem like the Apple we know today.
1: Yeah, it seems unlikely. I mean, the same things people are saying about the Mac Pro, right? This They apply to the Mac Mini as well. And the question is, are those of us who feel strongly about that enough of a voice to make Apple change its tune? And a large part of me thinks, well, maybe not. But at the same time, the Mac is a lot smaller market than the iPhone. And there are a lot of people in the Mac market who do crave some sort of machine that is more easily tinkerable. And if the Mac Mini is indeed only a portion of that market, like... Once again, I feel like there is a your percentage gets louder and louder as you shrink the, you know, the audience of the product. Um, And so I feel like for the pro especially, which is obviously I think tends to be a fairly small audience, obviously, um, that's more appealing to have a device that fits the needs of that voice of that of that slice of the audience because they are a larger and larger voice. Um, so for the mini, I, am a big fan of it. I don't know what will happen when I eventually, I don't think mine's even running Sierra yet because I, it's always the last computer that I upgrade, um, because it's so critical to a lot of stuff in the, in the house. Um, and so, you know, eventually there will come a time where it doesn't run the newest operating system. And yeah, I, I guess I'll have to make some choices at that point as to whether or not it is, uh, you know, needs to be retired. I mean, a lot of the stuff that it does could be done by an NAS, Um, that's a possibility, but some of the stuff cannot be duplicated by that. Uh, and so you see some of the interesting concepts too. Uh, there's a article I read a few weeks ago about Intel making these tiny, tiny computers that are essentially upgradable by, they kind of do what, uh, what Apple did with the Apple watch in that the, you know, with the S one where it's like all in one Mm -hmm. module. And so Intel has been like talking about these computers that are essentially, you can just swap out a module and like get new guts for the computer um and it's like well you know there's something interesting in ideas like that but clearly you can make a computer that is very very small um you know so there's an interesting application in that it might not be what the everybody in the mac mini wants but it might have some advantages for some of those uh some people who are looking for those things so are there multiple products here i don't know but i'm i'm not holding out hope that it's gonna survive much longer along with the mac pro and we might see those both uh, you know, die off within the next couple of years. Or Apple might surprise us, as it seems to constantly do, and be like, you know what? We do have new versions. Here you go.
0: What do you think Apple sell more of, the Mac Pro or the Mac Mini?
1: Mini's cheaper. I would think they sell more just by yeah. volume.
0: I would think Mini
2: as well. And, and pro users know that the Mac Pro is not a good machine. Like people yeah. switching to the Mac... No, no one's or buying ju- it now. <laughs> yeah, or just needing a cheap computer No, don't know or care the Mac Mini is just as old, so...
1: I'm sure the iMac outsell both of them put together. Sure.
0: Oh
2: yeah. yeah. And and they're all, you know, whatever it is, 10-15% of the overall Mac market where everyone's buying MacBooks and MacBook Pro's and MacBook Airs.
0: Mac Mini, man. Rest in peace, buddy. You keep keeping on, Steven. <laughs> go find that go find that one that you're looking for.
1: Yeah. If when they come for his Mac Minis, he'll be in a fort that he's built out of them. <laughs>
2: it's a tiny adorable fort. <laughs>
0: Dan Moran, thank you so much for joining us today and filling in for Federico, who is uh, on vacation. Uh, We're expecting Federico to come back next week. Who knows? He may stay on vacation. Uh, Dan, where can people find you? Where can they get in touch? Uh, Where can they engage with the Moran brand?
1: Oh, the brand. The brand is big. Uh, The brand is getting bigger. Uh, I am at dmoran on Twitter. Uh, I'm, of course, writing over at Six Colors and weekly at MacWorld. I'm on Clockwise here on this Firefine network. Uh, also on the Rebound Tech Podcast with John Moltz, Lex Friedman, The Incomparable, tons of other places. My personal website is I'll pimp my first novel, comes out in a few months. Pimping that. <laughs> so keep Where your eyes people open. We'll find out
0: more about that
1: uh right now my website's probably the best place there'll probably be more stuff coming down the pike in the next month or so as that all gets squared away um but yeah follow me on twitter too and you can you'll get the latest straight from the horse's mouth
0: all right if you want to find Stephen online you can go to uh, phytopixels.net and uh, of course he writes his monthly column for Federico at max stories as well which you can find things about old computers that's the place where steven writes stuff about old computers so you get old computer coverage in a bunch of different places um, it's interesting old computer coverage there's also old computer coverage on Stephen's uh, youtube channel as well which is 512 pixels you can find steven online uh, where he talks about new computers over on twitter he's at ismh uh, i am at imike i-m-y-k-e and uh, i mostly talk nonsense so if you Want to go to Twitter and follow me there? You can. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors this week the fine folk over at Eero, um, the lovely people at Encapsula, and the fine ladies and gentlemen at Blue Apron. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Adios.